Would you turn your Bible, please, to Acts, the, the fifth chapter of the book of Acts. We appreciate this wonderful singing this morning, the message of the choir and the message Brother Chuck brought to us. God has been blessing in the revival meeting at Richardsville all during the past week. And last night, that church felt impressed to go on with the meeting. So the meeting will go through Monday and Tuesday. I'll be here at Glendale today and tonight, but back at that church tomorrow night. And I would ask you to pray for the revival meeting at Richardsville Baptist Church for God's power there and the blessings. Now in Acts chapter 5, we begin reading today with verse 24. May we have a word of prayer together before we read from the Word of God. Our Father, we thank Thee for the privilege of being in God's house for everything already our hearts have experienced in the singing, in the impact of all these Thy people meeting together to worship. We pray that the Holy Spirit of God will bring conviction to those who are lost. And, O oh God, may this be an hour of personal salvation, redemption, regeneration. May somebody who has never been saved come to know Thee and trust Thee as personal Savior. And those who are saved rejoice in Christ. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now when the high priest and the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these things, they were perplexed concerning them how this would grow. Then came one and told them, saying, Behold, the men whom ye put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then went the captain with the officers and brought them without violence for they feared the people, lest they should have been stoned. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, Did not we strictly command that ye should not teach in this name? And behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine, and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom ye slew and hanged on a tree. Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses of these things. And so is also the Holy Spirit, whom God hath given to them that obey him. The text this morning is in verse 28. Did not we strictly command that ye should not teach in this name? And behold, you have filled Jerusalem with this doctrine. You have filled Jerusalem with this doctrine. 
what was meant by this accusation to Peter and the other disciples. You have filled Jerusalem with this doctrine. You know the story of Christ's death on the cross and his triumphal resurrection. And then he met with the disciples for a few days. And in the first chapter of Acts, we have the account of Jesus meeting with the disciples. And he said, Ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. And then Jesus was taken up from them and went back to the Father. They tarried in Jerusalem for 10 days in the upper room. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. And on the day of Pentecost, they began to tell the glorious gospel of Christ. And God blessed in such an unusual way that 3,000 people were saved. In the upper room, there were 120, just a handful. But they got thoroughly filled with God. They went down to the city of Jerusalem, and everywhere they went, they talked about Jesus. And as a result, 3,000 people were saved, and now there are 3,120 by count. If you have your Bible, you might like to open to Acts 2.41 and just write a little note in there. There are now 3,120 disciples in the city of Jerusalem. Now turn to Acts 4.4. 4. The persecution has begun, and in verse 3, they laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was now eventide. But many of them who heard the word believed, and the number of them was about 5,000. So now we have the 120 plus 3,000 plus 5,000. What is that figure according to your arithmetic? 8,120? But notice it says there were 5,000 of the men. And anybody knows where there are 5,000 men, there are sure probably 5,000 women. And if they were married, there were probably some children. Somebody has figured that by this time, there were about 25,000 disciples. You see, if there were 5,000 men, that means 5,000 women, that's 10,000. Plus the children, plus those that had already been saved, plus the 120, perhaps 25,000 already in the church in Jerusalem. Now look at Acts 4.29. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy servant that with all boldness that they may speak the word by stretching forth thine hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. 
and the multitude of those that believed were of one heart and one soul. No longer do they name how many. They don't say there were 120, there were 3,000, there were 5,000. Now there are multitudes. And the term multitude in the original language implies thousands. And some believe that by this time there were 100,000 people in the city of Jerusalem who had believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and received him as their personal Savior and Lord. And now the disciples are arrested. They're arrested because of the miracles. They're arrested because they're boldly preaching. And they're told, don't preach anymore in the name of Jesus. And Peter says, why? Whether it's right to obey you or not, I don't know, but we can't help but talk about the things we've seen and heard. And so, immediately after they're released from prison, they go out and begin again preaching the word. They're arrested once more. And in the early part of chapter 5, they laid hands on them and put them in the common prison. But an angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors and brought them forth and said, Go, stand and speak in the temple to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard that, they entered into the temple early in the morning and taught. Now, what are you going to do with fellows like that? You tell them to shut up and they say, we can't shut up. You put them in prison and an angel of God comes and gets them out of prison and says, go back and stand there and preach the word. And so they're arrested again and they're brought before the same, the council, the high priests and so on. Incidentally, this is the same high priest before whom the Lord Jesus appeared, Caiaphas, Annas. And in verse 28, they said, Did not we strictly command you that you should not teach in this name? And behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine. No wonder they're alarmed. There are 100,000 believers in the city of Jerusalem. Why, that's half the population. And just a little while after the Lord of glory was crucified, they had put Jesus to death because they didn't like him. They didn't like his doctrine. They didn't want what he preached. And now all of Jerusalem is going after Christ. And Peter answered along with the other apostles and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus whom you slew and hanged on a tree. Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sin. And we are witnesses of this thing. And so is also the Holy Spirit whom God hath given to them that obey him. Now the question of the message this morning, very brief, very simple question. Why didn't Peter and John shut up? Why didn't they quit preaching? Why, they were arrested, they were flogged, they were whipped, they were beaten, they were commanded, don't preach anymore in the name of Jesus. Why didn't they shut up? I think there are three reasons. And very briefly, I want to lay them on your heart. Number one, they had seen Jesus. That's what they've said. We saw him. Now, you took him and crucified him. He was the Lord of glory. You were there too. Caiaphas, Annas, all the council. You saw it. You commanded that he be crucified. You saw it, but we were there. 
And when they led Jesus out to that cross and they nailed those nails in his hands and put that spear in his side, the Son of God hanging on a cross, the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world, Jesus got my heart and I gave my life to him and I love him. The miraculous Son of God without sin has come to live in my heart and I know him and I cannot help but speak the things that are real to me. I want to ask you something today. When you and I are able to shut up and not talk in the name of Jesus, when it's unpopular to be a witness, when it's unpopular to name that holy, precious name of Jesus except in profanity and cursing, what do we do? You know, I wouldn't want to belong to an organization that wouldn't let me name the name of Jesus. I just wouldn't. I couldn't. I, would, I just, God help me to never let down that barrier. I don't want to be around a, somewhere that, where they won't men, can't mention the name of Jesus. And if, we're, if we find ourselves on the job and in our place and wherever we are, and we cannot name the name of Jesus and we get content and we say, well, I've got to abide by the status quo. When in Rome, you've got to do what Rome does. And if it's not polite, if it's not the thing to do, if it's not courteous, if it's not gracious, if it's not the thing to do to talk about the name of Jesus, then I better shut up. And I want to say something. Something is wrong with the experience you've had. If you can shut up and not name the name of Jesus, it may be because you don't know him or you've not experienced him or he's not real in your life, or you've allowed some sin to stop the flow of God's power and God's Spirit in your life, and no longer does the Holy Spirit control your tongue and your ears and your feet and your hands, and you have become controlled by people. Ladies and gentlemen, when that happens, there's a terrible sickness going on in our lives, a terrible sickness. And I would pray that we'd have wisdom, spiritual wisdom enough to see that there's a sickness. Why did they not shut up? They couldn't help it. Jesus was real to them. I don't know if Jesus is real to you today. Is he? Amen. If Jesus is real today, you, you can't sit there and pass notes and talk and and, uh, you know, have a big time because you're interested in what's going on. You want to hear the Word of God. If Jesus is real to you today and you're out there at school and everybody's telling dirty jokes and filthy jokes and they're cussing and swearing, what are you going to do? <laughs> Isn't that a funny joke? I <laughs> know you just laugh with them. I want to tell you if Jesus is real to you, that will offend you. That'll hurt your ears, hurt your heart. I heard Johnny Oldham Johnny, the athletic director at Western, a great man of God, a deacon in First Baptist Church in this city. Johnny said for a long time, I'd hear people cuss and swear, and I thought, well, that's their business, and I'll just uh, get along with it. I don't like it, but I'll just put up with it. I won't say anything. And he said, one day I went in a filling station, and they were swearing and cussing and cursing and, and everything. And Johnny said, I just couldn't take it anymore. And I, I, I went to that guy, and I said, did you know you're talking about my best friend. 
The man raised his eyebrows and he said, who is your best friend? Who do you mean? What do you mean? And Johnny Oldham said, you're talking about Jesus. He's my best friend. I don't want you to do that. Boy, just like that, they stopped. How do you react when you're around where the name of Jesus is treated cheap, cheaply, in, an, in a way that's tawdry, in a way that's profane? Or do you have something about you, some kind of experience in your life that wherever you go, you find that you have to talk to people about the Lord Jesus Christ? You can't help it. That's what they had. And as a result, they filled Jerusalem with their doctrine. Now, we may not like, listen, we may not like doctrines of other groups, certain sects, certain cults, certain churches. You may not like their doctrine. You may think they're overbearing. But when they come to your door and knock on the door, they may have the wrong doctrine, and the doctrine they peddle may lead men to hell, but I want to tell you, they're doing what they're doing, even though it's wrong, in a New Testament fashion. They're doing what you and I are supposed to do with the gospel. They go door to door. And you may say, well, I would never want to be like that. Boy, that's scandalous. I wouldn't want to be like that. That's exactly what the New Testament church did. Exactly. You mean, you mean to tell me they were, you, you mean, you mean, you mean to tell me they were that unpopular? Yes, sir. They were that unpopular. As a matter of fact, they were arrested. They were put in prison. They were put in jail. Why? Not because they were drunkards. Not because they were killing somebody or robbing banks. They were put in jail because they could not keep quiet about Jesus. Do we ever get that excited about him here? When we do, I want to guarantee you, the city government may not like you. I want to guarantee you that a lot of people will not like you, but you'll win a lot of people to Jesus Christ. A lot of people will get saved. And God will bless. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. They could not forbear. They had seen Jesus. Well, I want to know, has anybody here seen Jesus? Have you gotten filled up with Jesus lately? So filled with the Lord Jesus Christ that wherever you go, you have to talk about him. And you want to talk about him. You know, Fred Hardy, who's now with the Lord, is a great Christian. He was an undertaker in our city for many, many, many years. And everywhere Fred Hardy went, I, I don't remember ever, ever being any place where Fred Hardy was there that he didn't walk up to somebody and say, do you know my Lord? Do you know my Lord? Now, he wasn't a preacher. He was an undertaker. <laughs> I guess somebody would say, well, I guess he was thinking about uh, getting their body. No. If you knew Fred Hardy, you knew that he was a man who loved Jesus with all of his soul and heart and mind and everything he had. He loved the Lord. And everywhere he went, he was a faithful witness. I went in a restaurant one time. Every time I was with him, I couldn't ever pay the bill. He was the one man more stubborn than I am about that. I couldn't ever, every time I was around Fred Hardy, he'd pay for my dinner or breakfast or whatever we ate together, and he'd, he'd do it. And then he'd go up to somebody at another table. I, he'd, I didn't know him. He didn't know him. He'd just walk up to him and say, pardon me, sir. Do you know my Lord? They'd look at him. they said, what do you mean? I'm talking about Jesus. Do you know Jesus? You see, he couldn't help it. He talked about it. Now, that's what they did in the New Testament. That's what they did. 
You say, well, that was a scandal. Why, that was unthinkable. You couldn't do that in 20th century America. I want to tell you, the people that are doing it are winning people to Christ. And the people that are not doing it are not winning people to Christ. There's the answer. It's that simple. And when a church gets so intoxicated with the Holy Spirit, so filled with the Lord Jesus Christ, that we go out as an army to, to tell what Jesus has meant to us and tell from the Word of God what Jesus can mean to people, then there are going to be some changes and God's going to save some people. Oh, my. I can hardly wait to see it. You know, I think we see a foretaste of it week by week by week. The most exciting time in the week is Thursday night when our people gather to pray and then go out to put that prayer into action and go out and invade the city for Christ, invade the campus and go wherever where talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. Did you know we have a youth group in this church? They're not called by any name. They're just young people, wonderful young people. Now they're sinners. And I want to tell you, they're not perfect. They have sin in their lives, but that sin has been washed in the blood of Christ and they're forgiven of their sins. They're God's people. And they're normal teenagers with all kinds of drives and, and motivations and so on in their hearts. But you know what they've done? Now listen to this. In a year, a little over a year, they've gone out and knocked on almost every door in the city of Bowling Green. And where people were home, they took a survey. Where they were not home, they left a gospel message. And when we see people come week by week by week and come to trust Christ, it's because someone has been out there knocking on some doors, winning folks to Jesus. Why did you fill Jerusalem with your doctrine? Because they couldn't, we couldn't help it. We've seen Jesus. Secondly, and I may not get through this message, I'm going to quit on time this morning. Secondly, secondly, I think they had seen hell. I wish I didn't have to talk about this. But I think they had seen hell. You see, they had been at Calvary. John was there. Peter had drawn up like a coward, but he knew all about it. And they had seen all hell turn loose. And when Christ died on that cross, the Bible says he tasted hell for every man. He tasted death. And they had seen hell. We're studying during this special series a study on hell. It's an awful thing. I told our class this morning, I can hardly talk about it. Hell is certain, just as certain as heaven, just as certain as the promise of God, just as certain as the reality of pain and the certainty that sin will find you out. Hell is a place of punishment for those who reject salvation. Jesus called it the lake of fire, an eternal separation from God. They'd seen hell, and they didn't want anybody to go there. Have you ever thought what a terrible thing hell is? Has it ever really pressed in on you so that you realized what an awful thing it would be to spend eternity in hell? There are some men in this room, some women in this room who can say, I've been in a living hell. Some of you may have been in the foxholes of Vietnam or Korea or Normandy, or you may have been in the invasion of Okinawa, or you may have been in some terrible war, 
And you said, I've lived through hell on earth. And some of you have been through crisis-packed days in your lives where your life just went like that and you felt like, oh, this is just like hell. But I want to tell you, it's nothing like eternal hell. In the foxholes of Vietnam, as awful and tragedy, tragic as that is, there was a hope in those men's heart. I'll get out of this somehow. I'll get out of this somehow. This day can't last forever. It'll be over soon. Some of you who have passed through terrible crisis days in your life and you felt like this is like hell, there was a hope inside of you. It won't last forever. Tomorrow will be a different day. It'll be a little bit better. Where forever and forever and forever no hope and eternity they said we've seen hell and we don't want you to go there and last of all they said we've seen heaven Jesus was exalted to the right hand of the Father and we've seen heaven and we know what the Father has prepared for those who love him Oh, we want you to come and know Christ too. We want you to know Jesus. I have not seen, neither hath it entered into the heart of man the things that God hath prepared for them that love him, but God hath revealed it to us by his Spirit. You know, a lot of people just quote part of that verse. And they say, well, now, well, nobody really knows what heaven's like because I have not seen, neither hath it entered into the heart of man what God hath prepared for them that love him. But they ought to read the very next verse. It says, but God hath revealed this to us by His Spirit. If you're full of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's already showed you a little bit about heaven. And that's the reason you want to go and tell other people about Jesus. Because you want them in heaven. Everybody that's in heaven wants everybody else to come there. Nobody that's in hell wants anybody to come there. But everybody that's in heaven wants everybody there. Ring the bells of heaven. There is joy today for a soul returning from the wild. Jesus said there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repents more than over 99 just persons that need no repentance. What's he saying? He's saying heaven, the homeland of the free, the homeland of the redeemed. That's where they sing glory and honor and majesty and power and dominion be unto him forever and forever. And they sang a new song saying, Thou art worthy to take the Lamb, to take the book, and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain, and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and tribe and nation, and hast made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. That's what heaven is like. Oh, they tell me of a home far beyond the skies. Oh, they tell me of a home far away. Oh, they tell me of a home where no storm clouds rise. Oh, they tell me of an unclouded day. That unclouded day is heaven where there are no clouds and there is no sin and there is no sorrow and all the tawdry, cheap things of earth cannot touch that wonderful city. And you and I who are on our way to heaven, who we have our names written over in the other side, we know Christ as our Savior. We've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. We've seen heaven and we want others to come and we want you to come. If you're here today without Jesus, why do you preach like that? 
Why do those Christians go out on Thursday? Why do they gather? Why do they worship like you do? Because we love you and we do not want to see anybody lost. Why did Jesus come from the glory to that awful gory place at Calvary? Because he had been to heaven and he knew what heaven was like. And he came down here to say, I want you to live with me. I want you to live with me. I want you to live with me. Has anybody ever lately come up to you and said, I'd like for you to go home with me. I'd like for you to go eat lunch with me in my home. You know how you feel? Even if you can't go, maybe you have something else to do, but you, you, you can't go. But boy, doesn't it make you feel good that somebody wants you. Somebody wants you. Well, that's the way with the Lord today. He's pointing out here. He says, I want you. I want you. I want you. I want you to go home with me. One day, Jesus was going through the city of Jericho, and, and Zacchaeus was there. And Zacchaeus was a little boy and little man, and he, he just a little guy like you, you know, and he climbed up in a tree. He said, I want to see the Lord. He climbed up there, and I don't know exactly how big he was, how tall he was up in that tree, but he was way up there. And here came Jesus by, and, uh, and Jesus just stopped right under that tree, and he looked up, and he said, Zacchaeus, I want to go home with you today. Imagine the Lord saying that. And Zacchaeus slid down that tree and said, Come on, Lord, I want you to. Well, the Lord says that to you today. I want to go home to you with you today so you can go home with me one day forever. Wouldn't you like that? Let's close our eyes in prayer. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Our Father, we thank Thee that Jesus has earned that place in heaven. We don't have to earn it, but he's earned it for us. He came to earth and went to the cross, poured out his precious blood, that sinners plunged beneath that blood should lose all their guilty stains. We thank thee for that. And we pray that just now somebody will step across the line and come to Jesus, receive him as Savior and Lord. We ask it in Christ's name, amen. May we stand, please. Everyone standing. We're going to sing God's invitation. This is the Lord's invitation, not mine, but the Lord's. And it's like this. If you're here without Jesus today, you've never received him as your Savior, I want to urge you, plead with you to come because Christ wants you to go to his home. But in order for him for you to go to his home, he has to come home to you. I said to a family where we were witnessing this week, we had knocked on the door, and very graciously they opened the door, said, come in, come in. We went in, sat down, had an opportunity to talk to them about Jesus, and I said to that dear family, when we knocked at your door, you were so gracious, you let us in. You treated us nice. Jesus is now knocking at your door. Are you going to treat me better than you treat Jesus? Don't do that. Open your heart to Jesus. I'm looking into the faces of some this morning. I've knocked on your doors at your, your place where you live. And you've opened the door. You've said, come in. You've treated me very, very nice. Jesus knocks at your door today. What are you going to say to him? You're going to say, no, Lord, stay outside. Don't come in. 
or you're going to freely open your heart and say, come in, Lord. Will you do it? While we begin to sing, we pray, who will step out first for the King? Christ Jesus. There's some here who are already saved, but you need to come making a commitment and saying, I, I want to be part of this church. I want to be part of the Glendale Baptist Church. I believe that's what God wants me to do. Maybe by moving your letter or coming to follow the Lord in baptism. And others who have never been saved, you need to come to Christ right now. Will you come as we sing?